Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Kate Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Suter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. We recently saw a pretty big moment in the development of artificial intelligence to date. Jeffrey Hinton, one of the world's top AI scientists, sensationally quit Google's division responsible for creating and developing the technology. Why? Well, he wanted to warn the globe about the threat of AI, the very thing he had helped to create. So what does this mean and do we have a reason to be scared? Well, to help me answer that, I'm joined by Keith. Now, this is pretty big. Um, Tell us a bit more about Jeffrey Hinton and his role in developing AI. Yes, so Jeffrey Hinton has got a very distinguished scientific pedigree. He's descended from the pioneers of Boolean algebra, which I don't understand at all, but you have to understand it to do a lot of mathematics. His middle name is Everest, so he's linked to the person after whom Mount Everest has also been named. Very distinguished scientific families. So he grew up in Britain, did his degree at Cambridge and then also at Edinburgh, came to the University of Sussex, but there just wasn't the money. Typical story, it's the Americans who've got the money. Spent most of his time really in North America, Mm. both in the United States and Canada, and has been very well rewarded, including getting the the Nobel Prize for Computers, which is the Turing Prize. So Alan Turing, ironically, was the computer specialist during World War II that helped to win the war for Britain. And Alan Turing said that the big breakthrough with computers becoming intelligent would be what is now called the Turing test. Mm -hmm. So the Turing test is when you have something next door, so you just type out messages to whether it's a human or a piece of equipment, a computer, and you type questions and you get the answers back and you can't tell if the answers come from a human or a computer. So that's the Turing test which people talk about. And, of course, what's happening is we're getting closer and closer two machines dealing with the Turing test. So there is this Turing Award, and that has been won by this fellow, Jeffrey Hinton. So Jeffrey Hinton, for me, is fascinating. One, obviously, because of this warning that he's been sounding about artificial intelligence, and we've looked at at the risks of artificial intelligence over the period in which we've done these programs. And for me, that's a really big issue. Mm. You know, the politicians spend their time worrying about peripheral issues, and we just lived through the coronation and all the disputes over whether or not we become a republic. AI, for me, is one of the really big topics. Mm. And what I find fascinating, in particular about Geoffrey Hinton, is that he's someone who lives in the future. He was, until recently, directing the research at Google, which is one of the pioneers, for good or ill, Mm. in artificial intelligence. So he's actually been in the future. Amateurs like myself just simply talk about the problems that we already have with artificial intelligence. I'm in the education system. I'm very worried about youngsters getting artificial intelligence, GPT-3, to write their essays mm-hmm. for them. Yep. That's where I am at the moment. But this is a fellow who's been years ahead of us in the future, and he's now talking about superintelligent artificial intelligence and the risks that we now run. So in recent interviews, he's reaffirm the fears that we've covered 
in uh, this series over the years. The risk of fake news, the risk of manipulating images, the risk of social fragmentation, getting people riled up against each other. So he acknowledges that they are problems, but he wanted to resign from Google. Not that Google would necessarily have censored him if he'd stayed in the company, but he just felt more comfortable pulling away from Google to give him more freedom to speak. And he wants to focus much more on these long-term dangers. So it's not just a question of unemployment or social media or all this sort of stuff, but he's actually worrying about the way that AI could be making decisions for us. He acknowledges that AI is good. It's going to really transform medicine. Bad news if you're currently studying to become a doctor. Mm. You won't be needed necessarily because AI just simply builds upon itself and, and become, or literally becomes more intelligent. Wow. So there will be all the unemployment consequences, but also the big breakthroughs. We'll be able to predict the weather much better than we can at the moment, diagnose people better, which is the, the medical example. But his worry, in one of the interviews that he did a few days ago, he talks about being invaded by aliens and we don't really complain because they speak English. So right. we've already absorbed them and we talk about them. And he says, look, the risk is with artificial intelligence is that we will just absorb AI into our everyday lives. And then as AI gets more and more intelligent, then who knows what will happen? My view, of course, is, this is my view, not Hinton, is that eventually there'll be the question about what is AI going to do about humans? Oh, well, Will they keep a... us on as pets? <laughs> that's a scary thought, Keith. <laughs> or just declare us redundant. Yeah. That, for me, is a really big issue. He didn't, he hasn't actually been that alarmist, I think, because people say, oh, well, now we're dealing with the realm of Hollywood movies, et cetera. Yeah. But he is clearly trying to highlight the long-term dangers out of artificial intelligence. He acknowledges there's going to be a lot of good coming, and that's what's so seductive. You know, it's a bit like the aliens being able to speak English. Mm -hmm. We accept them into our lives because they seem to be part of us because they speak English. And so what will happen is that we will transfer more and more decision-making across to artificial intelligence. At such a point, we just become very lazy in decision-making. And then you end up with all the mistakes that we've uncovered so far with AI in terms of issues of discrimination, et cetera, which are being highlighted at the moment and which may not be eliminated into the future. So I guess you would think his fears are founded then? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and it certainly is in accordance with what we've been arguing in the series of Global Truths over the years, mm. that AI is something that we have to keep a close eye on. Now, the US Vice President, Kamala Harris, around the same time as Hinton's own statement, has uh, brought together heads of the big corporations in the United States who handle AI. And she's obviously trying to change the narrative, trying to get them to accept responsibilities. If you look at what's going on generally in the world of IT, there's a tendency simply to unleash IT on the world and with the view to, well, if there are problems, we'll correct them as we go down the road. Sure. We're not giving thought to it at the moment. And so we see all the issues that we've had with Twitter and other controversies over computers and fake news and all that sort of thing. What she is trying to do is to try to get these corporations to come together now and try to develop some sort of social license to operate AI. The problem 
most people accept that there is a problem with AI, mm. but at the same time, the people in the AI development industry are themselves trapped on this fast-flowing river. And the argument is, well, if we in Google don't develop the AI machinery, other companies will do so. Or if the Americans decide to stop it, the Chinese will simply plough ahead. So you've got this dilemma. On the one hand, people recognising that there are real problems, but at the same time, not being able to stop doing the work because you're going to be beaten by some sort of competition, either within another corporation or by people operating in other countries. Yeah, I guess you can't rely on other companies or other countries to have the same ethics, you know? Someone's not willing to do it, but there'll be someone who is. I wanted to ask you, um, one of the articles you sent me this week uh, talking about this talked about other great inventors of history and the regret they felt at inventing, the printing press inventor, (laughs) things like that. How do you think history will look back on Hinton and indeed the people who created AI? My own feeling, this sounds very dramatic, is that AI is humankind's last invention. Wow, that's big. (laughs) That's a big one. Yeah, so obviously we'll we'll continue to play around the periphery. Yeah. But the really big development is this AI Mm. and the way that it will continue to plunge us forward into the so-called year of singularity. In other words, when you'll have a computer that is costing, say, a thousand US dollars, which will have the brain power of a human being. We're not there yet, but clearly we're, we're making progress towards that faster than people had previously predicted. And this is what Hinton is warning us about. So the idea of the year of singularity comes out of Moore's law, which is the doubling power of computers, which is an idea that's been around for 50 years. In the beginning, doubling power of computers was no big deal. So somebody, for example, who uses a standard iPhone today has got more computer power than the power used to put a person on the moon Mm. in 1969. But now those leaps, those doubling power, which is the power of compounding, which financiers love to talk about, as it doubles, we're talking about really big doubling. And Hinton is warning us that the pace of change is now just so fast that it's getting beyond our grasp. And the problem is that we don't really know what artificial intelligence is learning. It's all in a little, they call it the little black box. Mm. So we know they've developed a system for it to teach itself and to communicate with others. So if you look at the medical example, when you're being diagnosed by a general practitioner who may refer you to a specialist, you're still dealing with only a small number of people. Mm. Whereas with AI, they're drawing in the experience of 50,000 other computers. And so this power of, of learning is just getting more extensive. And that, again, is, is what Hinton is warning us about. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter and this week's episode is all about AI and whether we should fear it. Let's look at the role now that AI can play in the future. Uh, You've touched on a a little bit, medical world and all of that. One thing we have spoken about before, though, is uh, its use in nuclear weaponry. And there is a race to wire it into the globe's nuclear systems. How would that work? So what would happen is that we would leave the decision-making to AI. Listening to Dr Hinton, this is what seems to me to be, you know, the ultimate Mm. uh, concern. If going back to the beginning of the Cold War, 
1945, the two atomic bombs get used on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and people realised the nature of warfare had changed. So before August 1945, you'd often encounter military leaders complaining about the lack of explosives, the lack of troops, etc. After 1945, you now had almost unlimited power. It's ironic, but the atomic bombs used at Hiroshima and Nagasaki are so small mm. by today's standards, they don't even get included in nuclear disarmament negotiations. Wow. But what has happened is that a whole new theory of strategy had to be developed. So this is the, called the theory of deterrence or mutual assured destruction, which means that I won't use my nuclear weapons because I'd be worried you'll be using yours and we'll yep. both end up dead, mutually mm -hmm. assured dead. There is a movement now for nuclear use and tactics, which is nuts. <laughs> so we've moved from mad to nuts. nuts. In other words, the belief that you can develop a weapon system which is so fast that you can catch the other side by surprise. The argument is that back in the good old days of 1945, mm. it would take quite a while for a military system to get underway. You'd have an hour or so's warning, so you, you had time to get organised. But now we're developing what are called hypermissiles, which means that they travel faster than the speed of sound. Wow. And the Russians in the last few days have used a hypermissile, apparently their state-of-the-art missile, to try to attack Kiev. Ironically, the Americans have shot it down with their Patriot, sorry, the Ukrainians using American system, Patriot system, were able to shoot it down, which I find is great news because it might be, you know, a bit of a, a warning to the Russians that the hypersonic missiles may not be as good as you thought. Yeah. But the problem with the hypersonic missile, you're travelling at five times or seven times the speed of sound, you're travelling so quickly. Mm that if you can imagine these being intercontinental ballistic missiles, in other words, being able to travel from Russia to the United States, imagine having to wake up the president in the middle of the night. Don't forget, Russia is always ahead of you mm -hmm. because of the time zone issue. Yeah. So Russia is always ahead of you. And then you're just having to wake up the president. And you've only got a few minutes now if people are going to be using hypersonic missiles. So the world is actually more dangerous now than it would have been in say, 30 or 40 years ago mm. because of this lack of notice, this reduced amount of time for notice. So the suggestion is being made that the decision should be passed over to artificial intelligence. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how I feel about that one. <laughs> so it sounds like something out of a Hollywood movie, it I'm does. afraid. yeah. But AI would be able to respond quickly enough. Now, whether it responds accurately, I don't know. But then if you're trying to wake up a groggy President Biden... Mm -hmm. uh, Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> or Donald Trump, who's had a late night with his McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> so who knows how a presidential leader would operate. But the artificial intelligence wouldn't have those worries. It would just do what needed to be done. They Exactly it. With the discussion about AI building on its intelligence and essentially getting to the point where it could be more intelligent than us, would the concern then be that it could act autonomously? So in that That's situation, right. yep. you've got you know, it's supposed to act in the interests of the US, but the AI is smarter than we are, and it goes, oh, actually, I'm going to bomb this country or that country. Is that the fear? That is certainly a fear, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the critics of AI, talks about the drawing clip problem, you know, how you have these drawing clips to hold papers together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge to the computer is for it to produce drawing clips 
but then it just keeps on drawing, you know, finding metal around the world, making them into drawing clips. Mm. And that's the risk that we run now, that AI is developing so rapidly that it's given a very simple task and it just carries on with that task in a very straight line without thinking of the consequences because it's just carrying out instructions. That's what the algorithm says. Defend the United States. Mm. And that's what could lead to some really horrible things. And you mentioned it before, and I guess with Hinton's move to resign and to speak out, you know, I guess he would hope that there might be some action from what he's saying, as in people will listen, governments will listen, and they'll take action. You mentioned Kamala Harris had started moves. Is anyone else paying attention to what Hinton's saying? Well, not as far as I can tell. You yeah. know, I'm not getting any comments from President Xi, for example. Clearly, Putin has got his own agenda at the moment anyway. It's not a very good time to try to negotiate a treaty with him. So you'd have to have a treaty whereby all governments and corporations, and corporations are all don't get covered by international law. Their governments do, but not the corporations. But it'd be people agreeing to put a halt to this research, say, for six months or a year, and just trying to work out how we can progress. This is the speed at which everything's moving, that people are actually saying, well, look, if we can delay it for six months or a year, it'll give us time to catch our breath, because at the moment we're not able to catch our breath. Mm. It just plunges ahead so quickly. So, as I say, this could be humankind's last invention because we will just end up, one way or another, destroying ourselves because of the use of artificial intelligence. At a Club of Rome meeting, which was hosted at the Vatican, one of our speakers reminded us that just a few yards down the corridor, there was that marvellous Michelangelo ceiling mm. where you have God's finger. Yes touching humankind's finger and giving it live. Mm. And this presenter had actually got a digital image and changed it so that you've got the human being with his finger on the left hand, mm -hmm. but then the, the hand has been moved and is actually now swung round. The right hand has been moved <laughs> and is touching a computer. <laughs> so God gives life to humans. Yep. Humans are now giving life to computers. Yeah, well, it's a sobering thought. Um, and, yeah, I guess one we'll have to keep an eye on Hinton and what else he tells us. Exactly. Thanks, Dr Keith Thank Suter. You. Global Truths is presented by Dr Keith Suter and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.